0: so it's much more than just a flip right if you look at brit that wasn't just a flip everyone's really excited about the fast rising tide in any number of classes i don't think we're clear of the rocks yet
1: you're listening to the voice of insurance i'm mark gagan the voice you just heard was mark cloutier the ceo of aspen I just wanted to give you a couple of little tasters of the sort of things that are coming up in this episode. The Aspen story is one that in many ways mirrors the global wholesale specialty insurance and reinsurance markets that we know and love so much. After a few years of relative underperformance, nothing catastrophic or life-threatening, but underperformance nonetheless, Aspen now finds itself in the hands of private equity in the form of serial industry investor Apollo. Mark is in post to turn Aspirin around for its new owner, just at the time that much of the market is taking similar remedial action to improve performance. Mark and Apollo have done this successfully before, and that's why this is such a good episode to get wrapped up in. After all, if you're openly turning something around for a sale, you have to be building the sort of long-term value that a new owner is going to be looking to acquire. Finding out how Mark plans to do this gives a lot of insight into how one of the smartest investors in our sector things. So do enjoy the listen. Before we get started, I'm here with Rick Lindsay, Chairman of Prime Holdings and the CEO of Claims Direct Access, who have kindly supported this podcast. Rick, first, thanks so much for your support. Why don't you briefly tell us about the Prime Group and CDA and what they could do for our listeners?
2: Sure. Prime Holdings is a holding company, and we're excited to expand our claims TPA service, Claims Direct Access, which is the exclusive claims manager for Prime Insurance Company, and has managed claims for Lloyd's since 1995, when we've been on the Lloyd's line slip as a risk taker. So, we plan on coming over to London and uh, hopefully providing our partners more flexibility where we can issue Prime paper where necessary. We can support and take risk on the Lloyd's line slip and offer our superior claim service, which is evidenced by Prime's own loss ratio for the past 10 years. I believe that claims is the key to success in our business. That's really the only thing we do that adds value. Obviously, you can be a good underwriter. And if the claims falls apart, the underwriting is a waste of time. If you're a good underwriter, you need to balance the scale with good claims. So again, we're excited to bring superior claim service to the Lloyd's marketplace and offer the ability to share risk alongside them as we manage the claims.
1: Well, thanks so much, Rick. And I'll make sure there are all the right links in the podcast notes. And let's get on with the podcast. Right, Mark. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us. Now, you've been over just over a year in your post at Aspen. So what in that time have you identified as your biggest priorities for change?
0: Great question. A year feels much longer than that. First of all, the business had built itself into being a very complex construct in terms of balance sheets, branches, and sort of the capital and asset formula. So a key priority that we are working on is simplification of the business. And by that, I mean simplification of the infrastructure, simplification of the product set, and the mechanisms by which the business Trades in internally uh, between the balance sheets. Probably the second key priority, along with that simplification, has been an effort to sort of redefine the culture of the business. When we came in, we found a lot of really very good people, but because of the complexity in the business, and perhaps because of the you know a couple of difficult years, there was a bit of a, a loss of. Identity and focus on who the company wanted to be and what kind of a culture the company wanted to enjoy. So, we've put a lot of effort into focusing our thoughts and our, and our folks' energy around um, the type of environment and the type of culture that will fit with our strategy going forward. You know, the strategy being uh, a successful specialty insurance business in today's world. Big word. You know, big strategy, but really trying to take all the modern issues that we're facing with and weave them into a sort of a behavior set and a culture that we can all enjoy.
1: So, in terms of the practicality of simplifying Aspen, in from a structural sense, what form has that taken in the past year?
0: We're you have to take these things on, uh, recognizing you know what you are in terms of the size of your business your balance sheet. And so a business like ours, having uh, multiple companies plus the Lloyd's platform, and then within that construct, within the companies, branches around the globe, you build yourself into a fairly complex and inefficient machine. So there's been focus on simplifying the branch construct, for instance, trying to get some of the branches where Lloyd's capacity can be traded and you know is well received rather than having a regulated branch and deposits supporting the activity there, why not convert that to a Lloyd's business, simplify the branch structure, get those encumbered assets back to the mothership. So we've made a number of moves like that where we're trying to simplify the branch structure and make it more efficient. And with the intention, Mark, being that as a sort of this size specialty insurer, you know, efficiency and flexibility are key to being able to manage through cycles and, and manage the business and, and the dynamics of the changing business. When you um, build a fixed branch infrastructure, you are really limiting your flexibility. Uh, And frankly, it's not an efficient way to trade. So a lot of effort has been put into simplifying uh, that aspect of the business, and we have further to go. And then also on the product set, we, um, again, as a specialty business, you want to operate a portfolio of classes and lines of business, but you have to be realistic in just how broad that is. And you have to make some decisions as to what areas of sectors and what areas of the economy you want to focus on. And so you've seen and read over the course of the past year, we've also exited a number of lines of business. And we're continuing to sort of refine that.
1: How far along would you say you are in terms of your cleaning up structure and also cleaning up focus on your product?
0: Um, we are um, on the product set. We have a couple of more changes we're going to be making, and there'll be news out on those very shortly. On the platform, those kind of changes with the regulatory regimes that we operate in and uh, just the nature of what develops when you have branches uh, under the supervision of foreign regulators always takes longer to get that sort of simplified than you would like. But I would expect that um, by the end of this year, we should be substantially complete in terms of having the balance sheet construct and sort of the the business onto the appropriate platforms for the longer term. So another six months.
1: And so now that you're refocusing, what would you like to say the average broker in, in the street, what would you like them to think about Aspen? To think, Aspen, I know that they do this, they're strong in this class, what kind of classes would you like to be known as being?
0: Well, clearly the business has a, has a strong history in uh, the professional lines, financial lines. Remember, we're still about, say, 60%, and these are rough numbers, 60% insurance and 40% reinsurance. And so the, the portfolios will vary. But in insurance, certainly the professional lines, uh, financial lines, management liability, particularly. On the casualty side, on crisis management, we've developed a, a number of areas of specialty in the area of crisis management. And so we do participate in ENS property. We have, to some extent, sort of repositioned ourselves there in terms of taking down gross and net PMLs, trying to drive towards sort of less volatility in the earnings in the business. But I think the, the way that I, I would like the trading partners to think of us, and we've had a number of experiences where we brought to a challenge, mm-hmm. sort of the how I think about Aspen of the future is we have insurance capabilities, different product sets. We have reinsurance capabilities, both property, cap, and casualty treaty, and we have capital markets capabilities. And as the business has, um, I'm talking more now about sort of risk transfer and partnering with distribution, prior to the pandemic, there certainly felt that there was sort of a convergence occurring between distribution wanting to get closer, directly closer to capital, to try to make the transference of risk a simpler more efficient transaction. If you think about Aspen and you think about the various platforms that we do have that I think, you know, in their purest sense, aren't complexity. In their purest sense are the appropriate tool set for the current directionally for the current direction of the industry. We have U.S. admitted paper, non-admitted paper. We have Lloyd's. We have a, a UK regulated company. And then we have a capital markets business. We've had a number of incidents in visiting with major brokers, major wholesalers, where they're looking for more portfolio solutions, an easy way to transact portfolios of business. And we won't just sort of bring our insurance team to the table and say, oh, well, does that really meet our insurance appetite? We'll bring insurance, reinsurance, and capital markets to the table. Then we'll work hard to find a solution where perhaps one of our platforms is the transformer. Some of the risk goes into maybe its appetite. Some of the risk goes into the reinsurance world, and some of the risk goes into we partner up with some capital markets investors. And that can be, you know, the risk distributed, or it could be the risk layered into those different forms of capacity. And so I think, as much as product set is important, and product expertise is important, and we are going to, you know, stay in a fairly defined box. It's this notion of bringing our complete toolkit, bringing capital in partnership with the transforming vehicles to the market, as opposed to. A product risk appetite, if right. that makes sense.
1: You want people to know that you can bring the whole of Aspen to bear on a problem uh, right. uh,
0: and solve it at many different levels. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we've done some pretty inventive things there. I mean, we now have the ability to place casualty insurance and casualty reinsurance risk into a capital markets retrocessional vehicle reinsurance retrocessional vehicle. That was a a success story for us in late last year and going into 1-1 this year. And we're seeing that vehicle grow. Actually, we're seeing a lot of interest in that vehicle. So yeah, it's this notion of having um, the front end being skilled underwriting, risk selection and pricing capabilities with claims management and servicing capabilities on the front end married to an efficient way of taking a portfolio of risk from one of our trading partners, applying that skill set and then taking it to the most efficient capital construct and be sort of behind that.
1: You mentioned about changes, Uh, you mentioned about COVID-19 having changed things. I mean, how much has COVID-19 affected your strategic thinking, Mark?
0: It hasn't affected how we're thinking about the future of the business. A couple of things happened. I, I think it definitely affected the rate and pace that we're able to bring about the changes to the company that we are you know, intending to make. We had to hit pause for a little bit while we figured out this remote working thing, but we're certainly now back on track. We announced uh, you know, a number of changes a couple of weeks ago with a restructure of the management team and a number of announcements there clearly the rate environment the acceleration of rates doesn't really change our strategy it helps us maybe focus some priorities in terms of those areas that are accelerating significantly how do we feel up about our positioning there and if you know if we were going to be putting emphasis there can we speed that up in order to take advantage of the acceleration if you will but It hasn't changed our overall strategy for the business. It's just, I think, shifted some priorities around for us.
1: So it's not really changed your risk appetite, for example, you know, as a leader in financial institutions, that kind of thing. It's not suddenly made you want to hit pause or change the way you do things, uh, exclusions, that kind of thing.
0: Well, it hasn't changed our risk appetite in terms of the classes. It will adjust. It will cause us to adjust the underwriting of some of those classes and conceivably introduce changes to policy forms and that and that stuff, but not see us out of classes that we're currently in. And we see some opportunity to conceivably come back into some classes that the company had exited a couple of years ago.
1: And we talk about the harder global market. Obviously, this time last year, it was just getting going. Has sort of more recent hardening or the confirmation that it really is a harder market, has that changed your plans in any way? And are there any things that you really want to be accelerating?
0: Not really. I I think everyone's really excited about the fast rising tide. In any number of classes, I don't think we're clear of the rocks yet. Okay. Uh, The tide has to go up a lot further. So we are feeling good in a number of areas. And I think likely one of the questions we're asking ourselves and we'll be addressing here in the coming weeks will be, do we feel we have the right sort of level of capital to take advantage of the current circumstances or the circumstances that as they develop, that we believe the the real opportunities are there. So we're thinking about capital and we're thinking about adding some capital to the business in order to be well positioned to take advantage. But it's not again, we'll be deploying into those areas where we see adequacy more than just you know rate appreciation.
1: And I presume it's right, given your investor backing, that access to capital if you have a good story to tell is not going to be a problem, I presume.
0: Well, for us it should be a bit simpler than it might be for others.
1: In this tougher market, You've got obviously higher reinsurance and higher retro or ILS or alternative capital costs. Would a good use for capital today just be simply to write a huge amount more for your own balance sheet and not worry about buying more insurance or buying more protection, but just writing less at at a better rate and uh, retaining it? Obviously, as you've just explained, Aspen has all the different capital levers at its disposal. So I'd love to get your thinking around what the best strategy is right now.
0: You know, it would be real simple to say, well, look, at, let's, just, uh, let's just hold more. We do believe in the adequacy of uh, the pricing. Why not just hold more? I think for us, we have some ways to go given the history of this business. You saw that we went through a bit of an uncomfortable time in the first quarter of the year with the rating agencies, and uh, one of the, I guess, criticisms on the business uh, previous few years before our involvement was sort of volatility in its earnings. And I think one of the things the business needs to show going forward, not just for the purpose of the rating agencies, but also for our trading partners, I think is, um, you know, some stability in the earnings machine and real performance of the earnings machine. So absolutely, we will consider sort of taking more to our net account but we are going to be really thoughtful about managing the volatility that would come with that. We're finding the terms that we're able to achieve through some of the capital market sessions that we're doing, that we can drive some pretty good economics through those transactions that will give us earnings power, but not the volatility. So we're being pretty thoughtful about that. We're going to continue to grow the business, but unlike some others, in my view, I do have to be thoughtful about just upping nets as to what that could bring in terms of volatility going forward, particularly given all the uncertainty we were talking about you know, earlier in terms of we're mid-event on this COVID thing. You know, Is now a time to be loading up net with all this uncertainty about what's going to play out in the future? even though the rates may look quite spicy.
1: So I'm taking it that you're answering your own question, say, so probably not, nothing too radical, but you're looking at everything. This harder market has brought out a new, an emerging class of 2020. We'll see how much of that goes beyond news stories into actual money and bank accounts on balance sheets. With this emerging class of 2020, what do you think the long-term prospects are vis-a-vis the other classes that we've had, you know, 93, 2001, mm. 2005, mid 80s?
0: You know, I actually think their long-term prospects are probably pretty good. If you think about what they've come into, they've come into what my sense is will be a fairly sustained period of pricing strength. So they'll be able to build up a strong balance sheet just in terms of the the environment that we're in without having attached to them the legacy of the underpriced years. And I think that will give them significant staying power going forward. So I think that the timing and the market that they're coming into, they're going to have a sustained period of healthy pricing. And through that, they're not going to have to to give some of that away to the past, like I think many who have been around for a while will have to. So you could see outperformance in that group, once they got to scale and once they you know, got over the initial startup expense hump, you could see outperformance there that should drive value and drive sustainability.
1: Do you think it's just a specialty market thing and ENS and and those sort of areas? Or is it more broad, including things like reinsurance, which seem to be a little bit more stable?
0: I think it's more of a specialty market thing. And I think wise to probably keep it that way. Because I think there's going to be uh, conceivably, you know, it, will this current market drive enough earnings into the more longer term established businesses to enable them to overcome what's in their balance sheet from the, from the past six, seven to 10 years, right? In terms of underpriced casualty business. So there could be, a sustained opportunity for a good specialty player who doesn't have that history in their balance sheet. Let's put it that way. I might go so far as to say, as you might be able to tell, I'm mildly envious of some of them because I I have had to deal with that history. I hope I have through the adverse development cover and the steps that we've taken. But starting now with a clean balance sheet is a pretty interesting prospect.
1: Everyone wishes they didn't have to pay for any runoff. (laughs) Well, particularly,
0: you, you, you particularly don't want to pay for others' sins of the past, you know.
1: Let's talk about globally. You've got multiple platforms, and so you can pick and choose where you play. In previous classes or capital formations, the consensus has always been that London and Lloyd's lost out to more agile places like Bermuda. You're a multi-platform person. Do you think there'll be any chance of this being different this time? Obviously, we have seen capital raising in London, real, real money raised
0: in London. I think it will be. I don't see London, you know, losing out this time. I think with the changes at Lloyd's and the current leadership at Lloyd's, they've signaled pretty clearly they're open for business. So I see Lloyd's as a real opportunity and managed properly. You know, a launch can occur there fairly quickly. So I think that um, Bermuda will probably do okay, but I do believe London and Lloyd's in particular should be a benefactor this time around.
1: And with um, that big Lloyd's plan, the blueprint, there's a lot in there. Which bits have most captured your imagination or got you excited?
0: Obviously, the whole electronic trading and simplification, if you will, of the process at Lloyd's. The, um, The lead follow stuff, I think, is really, really interesting. If it can actually be perfected in a way that you can extract the efficiencies that that should imply to capital, So, yeah, you know, look, I just think the whole modernization effort and bringing it into the current reality and the vision of it being an electronic trading efficient platform, there's a lot in it, but I think that, uh, you know, I'm a believer that Lloyd's has a strong future. I think, and I know I'm not being very specific, I'm seeing some things that do cause you to pause a little. Lloyd's, to me, has always been, in terms of writing specialty insurance and, and reinsurance, the most efficient capital construct out there. And that was one of its strengths, was the operating leverage you could get, the premium to surplus leverage you could get, enabled you to derive some reasonable returns. And it offset the inefficiencies of the market. The notion of taking the inefficiency out of the market is great, As an investor, my hope would be wonderful. Let's keep the capital dynamics where they are and let's harvest the inefficiencies, the benefit of getting the inefficiencies out. What I'm getting a little concerned about is there's a, it almost directionally feels like there's a trade off occurring where we're going to make it more efficient for you to trade here and easier for you to trade here, but you're not going to get the capital benefits. That you once enjoyed here, and I think Lloyd's needs to think very, very hard about that, because the you know the efficiency should just come, but the capital advantage is sort of the the magic of Lloyd's, if you will, and the attractiveness of Lloyd's. And if you see your operating leverage at one to one or below one to one in Bermuda and and other sort of regulated. Regimes and you see Lloyd's at 1.3, 1.4 to one, moving towards one to one or below. It loses some of the attractiveness.
1: I need to talk about um, your backers, Apollo, well-known backer in the insurance industry. Something that everyone would want to ask you would be: What do you think their long-term or their medium-term strategy is for Aspen? Are they likely to make an exit at some point, and when that might be?
0: Evan knows I shouldn't speak for Apollo we have a, much to do with this business. We are in a private equity fund. We're in Fund 9. Everyone knows those funds have a sell-by date. So I think that the strategy here is uh, transform the business into what we intend to be a, um, a successful, resilient, sustainable business for the long term. And in so doing, create adequate value for our shareholders and perhaps in the minds of of other investors uh, into the sector, be it strategic or trade or follow-on public investors, to effect a good return for Fund 9, but have a business that carries on successfully in the sector and um, is valued. So it's much more than just a flip, right? If you look at Brit, that wasn't just a flip. I'm very proud of Brit and I'm very proud of the team there and and its sustainability and, and how it's gone on as a company. You know, I very much hope that Aspen will be a similar story, that we will transform the business into, you know, from one that admittedly was struggling and had very few options left into a business that is um, is a key participant in the sector and, um, and valued by investors. And then Apollo will go within the timeline they need to for Fund 9.
1: You mentioned right at the beginning about culture. And so for one, would you describe that culture? What is that ideal culture you want to build at, at Aspen? What sort of place to work you want it to be known as and a place to deal with culturally that you want it to be known as? And then also i 'd like to ask you, obviously culturally wider in the sector you know we 've me too and now the Black Lives Matter movement have really fundamentally reset a lot of the way that the insurance industry thinks about itself and, and its place in the world and its attitudes to conduct and diversity generally so i 'd like to ask you, as a business leader, how you can carry that momentum that we 've had recently forward, if you could answer about Aspen itself about what you 're doing
0: Sure. I mean look the culture we 're trying to grow here is I guess one of um One of simplicity, one of diversity and inclusion, open conversation, collaboration, pursuit of excellence in terms of what we deliver to our to our trading partners in in terms of solutions and product and a friendly, collaborative trading culture so that um, both our our partners on the distribution side and our capital partners, reinsurers, capital markets investors find us to be friendly, collaborative, very well-informed, and always striving to offer up the best solution, but in a nice way. Very much a strong social conscience. We've instilled a set of principles and values that we live by here since coming into the company. They're on display everywhere. They're pretty much old-fashioned stuff, you know, stuff that your mom and dad teach you if they brought you up properly. Treat other people the way you'd like to be treated, right? And so, yeah, nothing fancy in it. Be good people, be smart, try hard, but don't do it at the expense of your family and, and or like work balance. We introduced a thing called ACT, which is Aspen Cultural transformation. And we reached down into the organization and invited people to participate with us in in helping us define those principles and values, and then play a key role as messengers and and leaders by example, but also continue to draw from the organization insights and, and ideas around how we can become ever better in terms of stronger around those core values. So it's been a very, very interesting time because in fairness to Aspen, much of what we are trying to do in terms of culture was here down in the organization, and the people have been very, very responsive to our efforts to get engaged in sort of corporate social responsibility stuff, our efforts to get engaged in uh, the diversity and inclusion efforts. So the company has been, the folks have been very, very responsive to this. It's really pretty neat to see a company that was eager to embrace that, right? But I think they were eager to embrace it if they saw it in their leadership. And then, you know, you you mentioned sort of recent events. It's been a a very interesting period of time that we're going through. You know, we had a town hall not too long ago where we were announcing a number of changes. And it was right around the time when the significant protests were going on in the United States around Black Lives Matter. And um, we spoke to it. And, you know... I uh, i am a child of the 50s and 60s and um, was political in my youth and marched in the streets, the anti-war protests and the civil rights movements, and um, was explaining to the folks that, you know, we clearly didn't get it done, right? We, we didn't get it done, my generation. And you feel... I guess, no excuses. You get distracted and you go off and run businesses and that kind of stuff. And, and then you realize that not a lot changed, really. We thought we were changing the world, but so much hadn't changed for so many people. That now, though, as a we're not a huge business, but as a, as a business, we can make a difference. And so what I've challenged the organization to do is to work with me. We're a multi-generational business. Racism and these social ills that we're talking about are multi generational issues. We need to put together the combination of the experience of the old guy and uh, the horsepower of the organization to contribute to change. Put all of that together with the different generational thinking of the maybe two or three generations that are actually in Aspen today to sort of bring forward a multi generational understanding and effort to make a difference. And so, you know, we're looking at, I called the business to action, saying we're not just going to support with money. We're going to take live action here to bring about change. So things like we're reviewing our recruiting practices and looking at targeting disadvantaged folks by circumstance trying to create opportunities for people to find our industry and the opportunity that our industry presents to us all, trying harder to get people that start out, as I say, with a disadvantage. Let's work hard to find them. And we've we've joined forces with a number of programs, inner city programs and Tower Hamlets. We're working with Tower Hamlets as an example to try to bring even apprenticeship programs, rather than just going out and recruiting at colleges. You know, some folks don't have access to college, but they may be brilliant, energetic young people that just need an opportunity. So we're completely rethinking sort of our entry-level recruiting approach to targeting a more diverse population.
1: One last thing, if you've got time, big things happening in the distribution side of the world. Obviously, your main trading partners being the brokers. We've had MMC and GLT, and now we've got Aon Willis. What's your thinking about your top four trading partners turning from four to two? Is, is it something that's really worrying you? Would you rather it didn't happen?
0: No, you know, I, I guess, you know, if they can make it make sense for them and their shareholders and their investors, fine. I'm not, you might expect the natural feeling would be, ooh, you know, I'm going to find myself quite concentrated here, which is never good. For a business I think for a business like a specialty business that we are, we touch so many different members of those businesses in terms of who we trade with that i 'm not I'm not concerned about the leverage if you will that people might declare they'll have I'm fortunate I have the opportunity to to speak at the two the folks who are at the upper levels and the tops of those organizations. And and I think they're actually sensitive to that. You know, I, I might not have said that 25 years ago, but I think they're sensitive to that. And they want to see efficiencies gained. Absolutely, we should all be driving for efficiency. But I think if we all continue to work towards making the trades as efficient as we can, It can work whether the top four are top four or top two. I'm not convinced that it's a a threat to us. I think it may actually allow some efficiency to occur.
1: Are you one of the view that there's quite a lot of regeneration that happens when big brokers come together? tends to dislodge a lot of other talent and creates opportunities for the other brokers. And in a few years' time, we might not have noticed that some of the smaller brokers would have grown and then we'll have a new three and a four to take the place of the others that have gone.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's an element of that and there's an element of there's a lot of business still being traded, not in those, what will be perhaps top two, right? And um, Aspen, as a company, properly presenting itself and operating efficiently and being a, a good, thoughtful solution provider could become pretty meaningful to those multiple others that are out there representing a big chunk of premium. So, you know, it's up to us as a business to drive some diversification into our business flow. And so that's always been, no matter what business I've been involved in, I've always tried to uh, to have that revenue as, as distributed as possible.
1: I'm conscious we've overrun the time that we were supposed to have, Mark. So unless there's anything else, I'd really like to thank you so much for giving up the time, and good luck to you and everybody at Aspen and what you're trying to achieve.
0: Well, thank you, Mark. It's it's been a pleasure to uh, to chat with you and uh, and see you. <laughs> you know, there's this uh, this this way of working today where many of us are very social creatures in this business, and it's nice to connect. And well done, by the way. I've been uh, picking up the podcasts and uh it's good stuff so uh well done man
1: well thanks very much mark and uh, well yes um i better let you go and you know, good luck with everything and come speak to us again i think you you always leave them wanting a little bit more and i think wish we could have spoken for a bit longer but thank you so much for your time and uh, we'll have you on the show again all right man
0: stay well thank you
1: thanks mark well i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did Don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Thanks for listening. And once again, big thanks to today's supporter, Claims Direct Access. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.mr.com
2: thevoiceofinsurance.com.